couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were in Atlanta attending a conference there, and you guys can have a seat just for a few days, really, we had been there, but it was only a few days that needed to go by before we felt that we were sufficiently Americanized. Uh, every TV that you looked on, it was politics everywhere. It was the election. It was just no matter where you turned, that's what they were showing. And even at night when I wanted to relax and find out what was going on in the world of hockey, because it had just started, ESPN would show approximately four seconds of hockey. If you blinked, you missed it. I always forgot at all of my meals when I ordered iced tea that when it arrived, it was literally ice with tea. It's not what I was shooting for. We were driving in eight lanes of traffic one way, eight lanes on the other side, and I remember thinking, I'm not even paying attention to my lane because I'm counting all of the other lanes. It was Saturday morning at 5 a.m. Where are you going Saturday at 5 a.m.? Lots of people were. It was different. It was weird. It's not what we were used to. And so I can tell you that when we stepped foot off of that plane into the Toronto airport, it was a breath of fresh air. Well, it was actually disgusting airport air, but it was a breath of fresh air. One of the first things we saw was a Tim Hortons. I don't even love Tim Hortons, but it was a beautiful sight. We immediately bought Tim Hortons. I smelled the Tim Hortons. I drank the Tim Hortons. There was great one of the TVs, I kid you not, showing Blue Jays highlights, rest in peace. One of the other TVs was showing hockey highlights. It was fantastic. My wife and I looked at each other and we said, we're home. Home. What's home? It's kind of a funny word, isn't it? I mean, you know it when you feel it. Home is whatever you feel. It's not necessarily a specific place. It's not your house. The Toronto airport is not my house, but it certainly felt like home. We know it when we miss it. We know it when we're away from it because we get homesick, but home's not necessarily a location. That's where you feel loved and accepted and welcomed and comfortable. That's not necessarily the presence of your immediate family, because some of you have a whole bunch of family hundreds of miles away, maybe further, but I know some of you are looking around and feeling, you know what, this is home. For the next few weeks, we're going to talk about home. We're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about church. We're going to talk about Jesus and how all of those things kind of overlap one another and, and really about how Jesus has much bigger, greater definitions of words like home and family than the world has. And our passage for today is from John 17, where he talks about all of those things, even if he doesn't use any of those words. He starts in verse 20, he says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us, so the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one, as we are one, and I am in them and you are in me. They, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you have sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Let's pray. Father, we're here for you. That's what we want, but we're here to experience your presence, to give you praise, to hear from your word, and to know that we have encountered you in this place. 
And anything less than that tonight will really kind of just be a disappointment. Or it'll really be missing the mark. And so I, I pray right now, Father, that your spirit would move across this room and through our hearts. That you would speak. That you would draw people into your presence. That you would draw us to focus on you. That we would hear from you and hear your word. That you would block out all the other distractions that are going on in our minds and in our hearts and even in this place. That, that you would have our full attention. And that you would do what it is you need to do in this place tonight. We give you the praise. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, how are we doing today? Good? Good? Well, it's good to see you here. Uh, if we have never met before, my name is Mark, and I am the lead pastor here at Crosspoint Church, and we're really glad that you have decided to join us today. This is a big day. It's a big weekend for us. Because not only are we having church right now in Marysville at what we are calling our North Campus, but as of right now, this very second, as the time of this recording, there is church happening in a movie theater on the south side. And we are fired up for that. But what I want us to do, we already kind of did it, I want us on the count of three to give a really big, loud cheer, excited applause, hello, whatever you want to do for all of our friends watching at the South Campus. Are you ready? One, two, three. Alright, so to all of our friends at the South Campus, we're glad that you are at church today and uh, hope you're enjoying your free Starbucks. <laughs> story to the North Campus. Uh, and it's also really important to kind of clarify today that even though we are having two different services at two different locations, we are not two different churches, but we are one church, we are one family with one vision trying to do everything we can to reach our city. It doesn't matter what seat you're sitting in or what building you happen to be in. That's our goal. That's what we're after today. Now, you can't be quiet because you made a huge mistake last week. <laughs> you were so loud and responsive for Leonard Anderson. So now I know what you're capable of. Don't retreat tonight. Um, I want to talk about families today. I want to talk about family and, and what that looks like and what it means. Families are a bit weird, aren't they? Yeah. I want you to look at your neighbor and say your family is a bit weird. Your family is, let's be honest, your family is a little bit weird. Every family is different. Every family has, you're taking this way too, so now you're like loving it. Yeah, your family, let me talk about your family for a minute. All of your families are different. They've got different customs. They have different traditions. They have different values. They resolve conflict in different ways. Almost everything about them is different, but that doesn't make them better or worse or right or wrong. It's just different, right? Everyone's family is different, and, and there's probably things that you love about your family, and there are probably other things that you're not such a huge fan of with your family, but everyone's family is different. I remember learning that when I was a kid because I discovered that one of my friends, their family on Christmas Eve night opens all of their presents. I remember being outraged. Call the police. You don't open your presents on Christmas Eve night. That's wrong. And I remember him saying, no, it's just what we've always done. We, we get to sleep in in the morning, and it's fantastic. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Now, he's wrong, but it, it just means we're different. Every family is different. 
And the same goes for the church family too, doesn't it? See, there's all kinds of churches. I mean, even just in our own city, but 50 or 100 or more churches, they're all different. All the churches in our city do music a different way, order their services a different way, preach a different way, they, they reach their community in a different way, they focus in a different place on the globe, and they, they're all doing church differently. That doesn't make them better or worse or more right or wrong, we're just different, and that's fantastic because we need different churches to reach different people. We have to be diverse. We have to be different. And so today, we're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about our family. We're going to talk about the church family. And, and really, what I want to talk about is the way that Jesus spoke about family. The way Jesus spoke about church and what that means for us. Because I believe that biblically, Jesus wants to stretch our definition of family. It's probably bigger than we think it is. It's probably greater than we are giving it credit for. The biblical idea of family is something that God invented and has a very specific plan for. So, for example, even our, our definition of family has changed a lot. Uh, years ago, definition of family for most of the world, or North America anyway, was the nuclear family, right? It, it was a mom and a dad and two kids. 2.5 kids, actually, was the exact number of the nuclear family throwing a dog or a cat, and you've got it. And that's what everyone assumed family was, and anything that was different from that, what was looked down upon or shunned, or it was lesser, that was the standard. But nowadays, family means so many different things. Now we have married couples who don't want kids, and we have non-married couples who have kids. And we've got single parents who have kids, but they don't have a spouse. And we've got blended families who are bringing kids from this, and they're bringing kids from that. We have adoptive parents. We have fostering families who are looking after other people's kids. We have same-sex families who are adopting children, or they're bringing children in from other marriages. We have families where the grandparents are the parents, because the parents were being the parents, and the kids needed parents. We have single people who just like to be single, and they don't ever want to have kids. And then we have single people who wish they weren't single because they really want to have kids. <laughs> what one of those is a family? What one of them isn't? The answer is sure. I mean, family is a different thing. It's hard to define. It's hard to explain. It's not a simple definition. And even if you don't like some of those definitions of family, you can't take away from the fact that they're still a family unit. Those are families. You're all part of a family. And so families are different. And let's be honest, all families are dysfunctional. <laughs> right? Yeah. They all are. And you, you used to think only your family was, and then you realize, no, it's everyone. And, and really, it's been that way since day one. God invented the family. The very first people he invented was Adam and Eve, and they got married. Bam, we've got a family. And God had one rule. You can do anything you want all over the planet. Just don't eat this one thing. They ate the one thing. Nick Lewitt for everyone. There's your first family. Well done. Good job. Dysfunction from the very first one. And you think, well, maybe the next one get it right. And so we promptly read the story of Cain and Abel. And we're like, nope, that gets pretty murdery. 
Not a great family. Maybe the next generation gets it right. And we read about Abraham. He was really impatient wanting to have children. So he asked his wife, could, I, could maybe we try and have children with this girl? You know, for the family. It's for the sake of the family. And they do that. And it goes super, really, really well. And we think, well, maybe the next family gets it right. And it's Jacob. And he just wants to be a good dad to all of his sons. And, and he loves them. And he makes them all these coats. Except, just joking, just one son that he loved the most the super favorite son. And so all of his brothers sell him off into slavery. Great family. <laughs> and, then, and then we move on to David. David, who's lazy and stays home one day from work, spies on a neighbor who's having to have a bath and promptly gets her pregnant. But don't worry, he works it out with her husband by murdering him dead. <laughs> what are we, five books into the Bible? Dysfunction all the way through. You know, there is no perfect family. Every family's got their issues, they've got their secrets, they've got things they're trying to work out, they've got their things they're trying to keep from other people. But I want you to know that God doesn't look at any of those stories or any of your families and go, who do I regret the family? He doesn't. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, that's the word he uses to describe his beloved people. See, he's got a better definition of family. He's got a greater definition of family. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The bottom line of what I want to talk about today is that God wants his church to be a family, but he also needs that church family to show people Jesus. God needs the church to be a family, but then he wants to use that family to show other people Jesus. That's his plan for the family. So the first part of that sentence, God wants his church to be family. Right Of all of the words that God could have used to describe his church, he could have gone with team, he could have gone with group, he could have gone with tribe, he could have gone with squad, <laughs> squad goals, or whatever, I'm 36. I shouldn't say that term, I don't know what it means. Um, I, heard, I heard a grown man this week use the phrase, that's totes lit fam. Still recovering. I don't, I don't know what those words mean. Of all of the things to call this people, God chose family. He chose family terminology. That's what he wanted us to know. Look at this language. This is Ephesians 1.5. And he says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So he says, when I bring people into my family, that they're my kids. I adopted them. We're family. This is Mark 3, starting in verse 31. It said, then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, your mother and brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? Who reminds me of that old kid's book? Are you my mother? But verse 34, then he looked around at those and he said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. And in other words, the people who are in my church, the people who follow me, they're my family. Brothers and sisters. So if you ever, if you grew up and you never had that brother you always wanted or that sister you always wanted, good news, look around. That might not be good news, depending on who you're looking at. I don't know how you feel about these people. Uh, family. 
brothers and sisters. He says, look at who's doing my will. That is family. Look around the theater. There's your family. It's an interesting, exciting, and potentially frightening thought. But he continues to use family terminology uh, even when he talks about the end times, when he talks about heaven. This is John 14 too. He says, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Jesus is telling us, dad has room at his house. There's room for you. In fact, he's, he's building you a room at his house. You don't have to sleep on the couch. You don't need an air mattress at God's house. He, there's room for you. So, so God speaks of us as family. Before we know him, that's what he desires. When we follow him, that's what he calls us. And when it's all said and done, that's who we're going to be. It's family. It's biblical. So there's a very real part of this, kind of an interesting side note, that if you're a follower of Christ here on earth, we, there should be a little thing inside of you that's homesick a little bit for heaven. Because that's your home. That's our home. So he's our father. It's family language. This is even how Paul speaks to us all through scripture. When he wrote all, when he write all of his letters, it was to my brothers and sisters in the Lord. It was never to the complete strangers I've never met at the church in Rome. He's like, no, to my family. This is to my beloved brothers and sisters. So this whole idea of family is obviously quite important to God. It's obviously important to him that we get it right. He wants church to be his family. It's not that he wants it. He declares it. It is church's family. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means that we should act like a family. The church should be all of the best parts about what it means to be a family. All of the best parts. So think about all your favorite things about having a family or being in a family. The church should be all of those best things, right? So, for instance, good families. Good families motivate one another. They encourage one another, right? That's how you raise your kids. If your kid comes to you and says, Dad, I'm awful at math, you're not like, I know. I don't know where you got it from, right? No, you're like, no, no, we can do this. We're, we, we get this. When, when you come home and, and you've just made a huge mistake and you're a teenager and you got to call dad and you're like, wreck the car. It's encouragement. It's all right. We're going to get through this. Good families motivate and encourage. And here we see it in Hebrews 10, verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good words. Isn't that good? Verse 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. That he's talking about church. He's saying, let's not neglect to do this because we all need to get together at least one time a week so that we can what? Encourage one another. So a good family, a good church should be encouraging. We should be encouraging one another. That should be part of what we do. You should leave feeling encouraged. You shouldn't leave church feeling beat up. You should leave feeling motivated and encouraged because you get together with your family. Good families also offer support during hard times. And we're incredibly thankful that they do. You think of your hardest days where you grieved the most, cried the most, you are the pained the most, and aren't you glad you did not walk that road alone? That you had family. I'm not, I'm not even talking necessarily relatives, but family who walk with you in those seasons. We need that. And that's why we do visitations at funerals, isn't it? Let's get all the people in the same room 
so that there can be some crying and some hugging, because we need that. That's how God created us. And we see this in Galatians 6, verse 2. It says, share each other's burdens, or carry one another's burdens, and in this way you obey the law of Christ. How do you obey? How does the church obey Jesus? We carry one another's burdens. That's what a good family does. That's what a good church should do. We should be carrying one another's burdens. You shouldn't come in here with heavy burdens and walk out with heavy burdens. Because we're all helping people. We're all helping everyone carry that stuff and work through that stuff. We're casting those cares upon him. This should be a place that you can do that. Good families also honor one another. They show one another affection, right? It's love. It's this we, man, I love you, and so I'm going to uh, build you up and encourage you. I'm going to hug you, right? Even if you don't love it, it's still good, right? Families don't shake hands. Families got to hug. <laughs> Romans 12.10 says it to us, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Genuine affection. And we should take delight in honoring one another. When you come to church, part of what it means to be this family is that we should be building one another and, and honoring one another, which means you should speak well of your church family. You, you should honor them and speak well of them when you are with them, and you should honor them and speak well of them when you're not with them. Because that's what family does. That's what church does. We speak well of one another. We honor each other. Good families also take care of all of our needs. If you need something, then you've got family who's there to give you what you need and when you need it. Right? It's, again, it's family. It's kids. When your kids are hungry, you're not like, good luck. Well, no, you feed them. Right? It's what we do. Acts 4.32. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt, listen to this line, that what they owned was not their own. And so they shared everything they had. There was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give those in need. You, as a family, we make sure that everyone's got what they need. That's what a church does. That's what a family does. This church should be all of the best parts of what it means to be a family, and we do this together. We could go on and on and on and on all through Scripture. We literally can't, because we're actually timed now on Saturday night. Some lady will walk into a movie theater with a ticket, outraged that she found Jesus instead of Benedict Cumberbatch, and so we need, we need to keep rolling. The best parts of being in a family should also be the best parts of what it means to be a church together. And unfortunately, there are those who perhaps, through no fault of their own, are convinced that the church is cold, that the church is not welcoming, that the church is stuffy, it's legalistic. It would be the opposite of everything you would hope to find in a family. And maybe that's been their experience. Maybe they're just listening to what other people would say about it. But it's up to us to change the view of family. It's up to us to change people's views of church. We have to do this. We have to show them that church is all of those things that we just read. It should be the most encouraging, motivating, honoring, affectionate, loving, building up, generous community that you've ever been a part of. That is what the church should be. We have to get this right. 
Because here's why. It's the second half of our statement. That God wants to use the church family to show people Jesus. Right? That means that the way followers of Christ treat one another, that means the way that we treat one another and speak about one another and love one another, that's painting a picture of Jesus that the world is going to look at. How we love one another is showing people Jesus. So it's vital that we get this right because the world is watching and they're making up their minds. Do I want anything to do with this Jesus? I better look at his church and see how they operate as a family. John 13, 34. Jesus says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Now, I want to stop there just for a second, because the golden rule used to be what? Do unto others the way you would want them to do unto you, right? No, no, Jesus, Jesus what's better than the gold platinum? That's the platinum law now. Where he says, no, you don't treat others the way you want to be treated. That's a little bit self-serving. You treat others the way I treated you. You don't love people the way that you want to be loved. You love them the way Christ loved you. And he just raises that bar crazy high. That's how we're supposed to treat one another, church. The way that Christ treated us. And then verse 35, he says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Our love for one another. It's not just our love. It's not just some vague sentimental term. But our love for each other in the church will prove to people how we really feel and what we really believe about Jesus. That's enormous. The way that we love each other is painting a picture of Jesus for a world that desperately needs Jesus. Or, worded this way more convictingly perhaps, if, if all Fredericton knew about Jesus was based entirely upon how we loved one another as a church, what would Fredericton know about Jesus? Say that one again. If, if the only thing our city knew about Jesus was based entirely on the way that we loved one another, spoke about one another, treated one another, and took care of one another, would they want to know him? Would they want to follow him? Would that be a person that they would think, yeah, I want to know more about that? We have a fairly significant responsibility on our hands as the church to be a family. And this really boils down to our unity. That's what Jesus prayed for. It's our unity. If we are unified as a church, that will push people towards Jesus. But if we are not unified as a church, if we are divisive, if we are angry, if we are continually kind of beating one another up, that's pushing people away from Jesus. It's incredibly important that we get this. In fact, Jesus prayed for this very thing. Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for me, he prayed for all of us, and he prayed for his church. This is John 17, 20. This is the passage we read earlier. This is before he goes to the cross. He's in the garden. This is what he prays. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe, that's you and me, in me through their message. I pray that they will all be, what's that word? One. One. That is what Jesus prayed over his church right before he died. That is the one thing he prayed over his church. His last prayer, this is what he prays, that we would be one. 
Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us, and again, so that the world will believe that you sent me. Our unity is evangelism. Our unity shows people Jesus Christ. It is our oneness that will reflect the love of Jesus for a world who needs Jesus. It's our unity. It's our oneness. It's being family the very best way that we can. So we need to figure out how to be the best unified family that we possibly can be because the gospel is riding on it. You think about that for a minute. The gospel is riding on our church's ability to be unified. That, that is pretty substantial. The world's ability to see Jesus is, is really up to our ability to love one another. And the problem, of course, is that just like families are dysfunctional, <laughs> so, so the church, right? I don't know what your church experience has been. I don't know what you've gone through or where you attended or what it looked like, but I think it would be an understatement to say that there is plenty the church is not unified on. We've, we've got Protestants, and we've got Catholics, and we've got Anglicans, and we've got Orthodox, and we've got Independents. And, and even under all of those banners, you've got so many other branches. Well, I'm a Protestant. Well, are you a Baptist? Are you Pentecostal? Are you Wesleyan? Are, Wesleyan? are, are you Methodist? Are you Free Methodist? Are you Reformed Methodist? Are you United Methodist? Are you Methodist Methodist? <laughs> so I don't know. It's, well, do you believe in tongues? Do you speak in tongues? Do you interpret tongues? Do you cut out the tongues? What do you do about tongues? <laughs> so I... What do you talk about? Well, I need to know. What do you do? What, what's your music? Are you loud music? Are you electric guitar music? Or are you just piano only music? Are you, are you Hillsong or Bill Gaither? Are you Charles Stanley or Andy Stanley? We gotta know. Who, who are you? Is your pastor an angry, yelling, hellfire guy? Or is he a Joel Osteen smiling kind of guy? Is, is your church ties or is it plaid? What is it? Listen to me on this one. None of those things, none of those things make us better or worse or more right or more wrong. But we have all got to get our act together to show the world that even though we are different, we are one under the banner of Jesus Christ. It is hugely important. The whole thing is hinging on the church's ability to be one. That's what Jesus said. That's how he prayed. Our world, whether they see Jesus or not, is up to the way that we love one another as a church. We can't miss this. This is hugely important. And so, well, Mark, I don't agree with them. I don't like what they do. I don't like what they believe. And it's blah, blah, blah. That's precisely the line of thinking that's broken us off into hundreds of denominations in the first place. You look back to Jesus' prayer. I pray for their oneness. He didn't pray for our rightness. He prayed for our oneness. He doesn't care what one of us thinks we're right or wrong. We're all going to get to heaven and find out we're way off on a whole bunch of things. He wants us to be one. He wants us to be unified. And the implication of Jesus' prayer is this. For every hour we waste arguing amongst ourselves, it's another hour that the world goes by without seeing Jesus Christ. And so we get this. We have to. Unless, of course, you don't care about the world seeing Jesus, then you can fight all you want. 
you, you can get divisive and you can separate and you can argue and, and, and you can become the best theologian you can think and all the while the world's walking by going, I don't want that. As a church, we need to spend less time arguing about our theology and more time representing Jesus. That's what we need to be doing with our time. And, and it feels like sometimes there's been seasons in, in, in church history where the church just tried to raise up a whole bunch of lawyers that could argue their rightness, their specific line of thinking about faith. That God doesn't need more lawyers. He needs more good neighbors. He needs the church to be a family so that we can see Jesus. We might be different. All of the churches in Fredericton are different, but we have got to be united under the banner of Jesus Christ. And that's up to us. This is how we act and what we say and how we speak and how we worship. We've got to get this family thing right, right here. The entire gospel hinges on it. And so this place needs to be family, which means this place needs to be home. Right? You should, you should walk into church and feel like I'm home. That doesn't mean to have to be your home home, right? The Toronto airport wasn't my home, but there was something about it that felt comfortable and safe and good. And church, you should be able to walk into church and be like, oh, I'm home. I want people who don't know Jesus to walk into our church and think, this place feels good. This place feels right. I want people who are fed up with church to walk into our church and think, I want to know about this church. Because they feel home. They feel like there's something here about a good family. A good family is so good at welcoming outsiders and saying, now you're in my family. So that's what we have to do. It needs to be like home. A place where everyone is loved and welcomed and accepted and shown forgiveness and given grace. Even people who are nothing like Jesus should be able to walk in here and feel like that. You know what? fascinating about the first century is that people who were nothing like Jesus still liked Jesus. And you know what's even better about that is that Jesus liked people who were nothing like Jesus. And wasn't that a good reminder for us as the church that even people who don't like us should still like what we're doing. The, 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 really, the whole point of this is that we, would, we should have people in the church or people in the world, people in our city, who are thinking, I think what they believe is absolutely insane, but they're the best neighbors I've ever had. I, I think believing that the resurrection happened is crazy, but I would love my daughter to marry one of them. I think what they read in that Bible is outdated nonsense, but I would hire every Christian that I meet. Because they might not know Jesus or even think they like Jesus, but they should see the way that we treat one another and think, I would like to know more about that. And it will happen when we're unified. It will happen when we get family. It'll happen when we're loving like family and encouraging and motivating and forgiving and uplifting and carrying burdens and offering grace. And when we operate like that, the world will see Jesus. That's how you make a house a home. That's how we make this house a home. That's how you make a theater a home. It's because of the family who lives there and worships there and operates there and loves there and in that way. That's how we're going to lift the name of Jesus high across the city of Fredericton. We've got to be family. So that's our call 
That's kind of our declaration. That's who we are. That's what we do. All different and yet one. All different and yet unified. Let me pray for us today. Jesus, we're so grateful that you are with us no matter where we are, whether we're in Marysville or in a movie theater or watching online somewhere across the planet. You're with us. And we're grateful for that. And so, Father, I just pray that you would spur us on as believers to be the family of Christ that our world needs to see, that our city needs to see, that we would love one another and speak well of one another and encourage one another and walk through pain with one another and carry one another and cry with one another and grieve with one another and forgive one another in such a way that the world wouldn't, wouldn't be able to help but see you in the middle of all of it. That is our cry. That is our plea. You prayed that we would be one. Help us to do our best at Crosspoint to be that one. To love that way. Father, I pray that, that Crosspoint would be a kingdom church all across Fredericton. That, that we pray right now in this place for all of the churches in Fredericton. As they meet this weekend, that they would meet with you. That people, that new people would show up to those churches. That people would get saved in those churches. That people would be declaring your name in those churches. We pray victory and freedom and success over all the churches in our city. Knowing that the more we do together as one, the more lives that will be changed for your kingdom. And so we declare that you're good. We declare that your name is the one who unifies us, and we pray it in the powerful, mighty, alive, and victorious name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen. Amen.